boy's got utter belief in it. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. Another weekend, another set of crazy marathon times. Alma Zayana is back, baby. Ethiopian former world record holder in the 10,000 meters ran the fastest debut marathon ever, 217.20, to win the Amsterdam Marathon on Sunday, just ahead of another debutante running 218.05, someone called Kinsebe de Barber. We'll talk NCAA cross country. Caitlin Tui wins the Nutty Comb Invitational at Wisconsin, but is she still the NCAA favorite? We debate after Florida's Parker Valby runs 1858, the 6K, the Texas A&M. The 2021 Boston Marathon champion Diana Kipyake is suspended after testing positive for triamcinolone acetonide. Have we found a new super drug in Kenya? Plus, a two-time Foot Locker finalist tells us why running is popular, and the 20-year anniversary of Weldon Johnson's marathon personal best has come and gone. All that and more to come on the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. This is Jonathan Gold. I am your host alongside co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good to be here, John. I'm pumped up. Behind the scenes, we don't usually play the pump-up music. It's like put in afterwards, but... Today we played it. It's got me going. Got the juices flowing, John. Something else has got me going. I've just rubbed some trinisoline acetonide. I didn't realize how easy this shit is to get, folks. I mean, this is wild. Should we start with that, John? The doping scandal that's rocked the marathon world. Also rocked the let's run.com world here. I've received a text over the weekend that our former intern is on the drug as well, or used to be at least. Well, that's the thing. Anyone can take this thing. Triamcinolone acetonide. I think I'm getting better at pronouncing it. Still a little unsure about this whole situation, though, because this is a drug that is not banned out of competition. You and I could take this if we were professional athletes right now. Shows up on an anti-doping test. No issues whatsoever. But then if we go to a race and it's in our post-race drug test sample, you can get a ban. That is what happened to Diana Kipyake, who won the Boston Marathon in 2021. Remember, that was kind of a surprise at the, mo- at the time. No one knew who Diana Kipyake was. People saying she came out of nowhere. She tests positive for this substance, and now not only has she been provisionally suspended by the Athletics Integrity Unit for testing positive for it, she's also been charged with tampering, which means she hasn't been honest with them. It's a big deal. You're a Boston Marathon champion. Looks like she's going to be stripped of her title. The BAA has said that they will disqualify her, assuming her suspension is upheld. And she wasn't the only athlete who tested positive. Betty Lempus, uh, a Kenyan half marathoner, 65-minute half marathoner who won the Paris half last year, she tested positive for it. The AIU didn't charge her because of the positive test, but they also charged her with tampering. And in this press release, which came out on Friday, the AIU essentially said there are 10 Kenyan athletes in the last two years who tested positive for this substance compared to two for the entire rest of the world. So it's kind of interesting that 
this drug has become so popular so suddenly, and it's not even banned out of competition. I don't know what to make all of it, out of all of this, Robert. That's what's interesting to me is, I mean, this drug's been along, around a long time. I mean, first of all, Lance Armstrong, David Miller, a lot of cyclists did use it. But as I said, our intern used it as a kid, um, you know, for rashes and stuff. But what's interesting to me is why are we suddenly seeing all these Kenyans testing positive for it now? This drug's been around for a long time ago. So you think if they were using it, is the testing suddenly better? Is there one doctor that's suddenly prescribing this? Like, why only in Kenya? Why aren't we seeing it in Ethiopia, et cetera? To me, like, this drug's been around forever. So why this drug, why now, is an interesting question to me. I feel like I need to read more of those cycling articles because clearly there's a reason people are using this drug. But for me, it's just, I'm depressed. I'm sick of this. I mean, when Let's Run started out, like, I, we're still very big anti-doping, but there was no USADA. There was no WADA. We're like, we need more drug testing. We need more resources. We have a lot more of that, and people are still getting popped left and right. I mean, it's human nature, I guess. It's life-changing money in Kenya. More so than than in the States. Well, that's what Johnny Demadonna, who is the agent for these two athletes who tested positive on Friday, Betty Lempis and Diana Kipuke, he said, essentially, their management policy is you're always supposed to tell us any substance you're taking. We'll make sure that it's legal under the WADA code. And he says that neither of these athletes did that in this situation, so he doesn't have a ton of sympathy for them. And he also was like, look, they've put money and resources into anti-doping education in Kenya. This was a big problem maybe five or six years ago. And at that time, you could maybe say, okay, the Kenyan athletic... I don't even know if Kenya had an anti-doping agency nationally. And Athletics Kenya was not sort of passing the message on, doping's wrong, they didn't view it as a huge issue. They have taken steps to address that, and it's still happening. Demadonna's reasoning was... Look, with the kind of life-changing money on hand, especially like Boston. You win Boston, that's $150,000. That is so much more than getting... You know, that, you're, you're, you're set for a long time in Kenya if you win that kind of money. But So his, that was his logic. He's like, look, as long as the prize money is so big in the marathon, there are always going to be people who are going to try to take underhand methods to get there. And he denied vehemently having anything to do with this, but I just I think it is worth mentioning, you know, these prohibited substances, some, they're not just appearing out of thin air. Someone is giving them to these athletes, whether it's a doctor, a coach, an agent, you know, an athlete, you can't just farm this thing. You need to seek it out somehow or it needs to be given to you. And he t- had two of his athletes test positive for this. He said he has a third case is one of the, there's four cases that AIU is currently investigating. He said one of his athletes is involved in that as well. He seemed very frustrated. Again, I'm not saying this, it's, oh, we have to blame the agents necessarily. But I do think there needs to be an investigation and we need to be trying to press these athletes. Who are you getting this drug from? How has it become so popular there? That's something that the AIU should be looking into. And why? There was a great post on the message board by one key question. And he said, I think this thread should focus on one question. How is this performance enhancing? How is this so performance enhancing acutely in competition that numerous Somewhat high-profile Kenyan athletes are willing to risk everything just so they can take this the day of the competition when they can take it all they want outside of competition. So far, explanations by cyclists who used it come in weight loss, blah, 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 but it's not banned in training. Caffeine, for example, is great. 
for enhancing performance. And we have thousands of studies explaining why. If caffeine was banned in competition, I understand why people would still try to use it in competition. But I haven't heard any explanation for why this drug is so great that using it in training isn't enough, that you must use it within 24 hours of the race. Now, that being said, there's some interesting replies to that. And one of the David, one of the posts quotes this New York Times article where David Miller, the cyclist, says, you have a sense of like euphoria when you take the drug. Like you feel really like, that's what I was joking about at the beginning of the show. You feel like up. And someone's tied this into Galen Rupp, says Adobe writing on the message board. I'm sure this plays a role. Salazar knew this when he gave Rupp an allergy shot, probably an IM glutacoroid similar to this in the hotel before he set the American junior record for the 10,000 back in 2005. This post right here blew my mind because this brought me back to the early days of Let's Run. Back when I was coaching at Cornell, I, I, I got a call on my cell phone, one of the first cell phones I had, within days of Rupp setting that American junior record. Someone saw it in the hotel room. He got the allergy shot. People were outraged by it. People thought it was wrong. So, hey, I'm just saying, Africans aren't the only ones willing to push the boundaries. Now, what Rupp may have gotten was probably legal, but I'm just saying it's interesting that people are tying these two things together. Well, I also think it's interesting. There are people saying, okay, it helps you lose weight. It also might help you build your up, your, up your endurance. But this doesn't seem to be like EPO, where it's like clearly, okay, this is you take this drug, you're definitely going to get better. I think there's still some debate as to how performance enhancing this substance is. I'm curious if this is something that athletes were taking in the lead up to a race. They were prescribed it by a doctor and said, hey, this is something, it'll help you be a little bit faster. It'll help you lose weight. And guess what? It's totally legal. If the testers show up and test you for it before the race, you can't get busted. It's fine. And it's something they were taking in the lead up to the race. And maybe they took their last dose a month before the race, but it's still in their system on race day. And that counts as being testing positive in competition. This is just a theory. I don't have a lot of scientific backing to go on, but I could see that as some scenario that leads us to where we are right now. I'm with you. I'm not convinced that we have some sinister plot. It could be some weird mistake by these people. And it just seems, you know, we, we have the thing, oh, it's easier to get drugs in Kenya than it is in Ethiopia. But the whole discrepancy is very, the, the number of so many more positives in Kenya versus Ethiopia is, you know, troubling to me. But I guess we shouldn't be shocked by anything because we haven't talked a lot about it on the website, the Huntington University scandal. I mean, there's allegations there that at an NAIA school in America, people are being injected by the coach, including presumably one of the top recruits in the country who, instead of going to Colorado, goes to the NIA University. I don't want to mention names because I want it to be about her, but just, I don't know. Look, society is corrupt. Joe Biden is corrupt. Donald Trump is corrupt. I know that I just pissed off a lot. The, the Democrats freaked out when I said that, and I said it about Donald Trump. But both these men have stolen and lied and cheated to, to make money themselves. It's, just, it's disgusting. So we see it all the way at the president of the United States. Both of the last two presidents have done a lot of things unethically to enrich themselves. So am I surprised that a poor person in Kenya does this? I mean, you see the Amsterdam Marathon results, and we'll talk about Amsterdam a lot, but there's nine men that break 206. So one minute is the difference between first and ninth. So you take something that's basically the equivalent of caffeine and you make $150,000 a year and your family can eat for the rest of your life. I mean, uh, I understand it. 
By the way, sh should we give some of this stuff to Biden and Trump since both of them are so damn old? Okay, a couple of things. One, I can't believe Robert went Huntington University because that's where I was going to go. I mean, the Huntington University scandal, the most damaging and disgusting things are, you know, sexual abuse, rape, allegations of rape, sex with a minor. But there's also these like doping allegations of a coach allegedly giving stuff that's legal, I think, out of competition to athletes. It's not like EPO and stuff. And the people started running really well and the athletes are like, yeah, I think it helped me that much. Like it's, it's crazy. I'm like, holy shit. All these like bullshit supplements really may make a difference. And then Dia Madonna, I, I just, I loved his quotes. He just called out his athletes. It's the agent Gianni Dia Madonna. Diana is completely guilty. I'm so sorry. She's done something very bad. But he then goes on, John, if they don't tell us they're guilty, what can I do? I cannot stay with the athletes. So I'm glad he dropped them, but like, I don't know. Is it not possible to press the athletes somehow to like, come on, you need to fess up. Maybe then they could get harmed by the doctors and it's, there's no protection. You know, if you expose these people, like, look, I got to keep my mouth shut. I, I, I don't know. I just somehow wish somebody would rat the whole system out. Well, apparently on Twitter, he's been criticized by some for throwing his athletes under the bus. So I praise him for it, but some people say, oh, come on, he's just acting like he had nothing to do with it. But look, this, this drug stuff, well, we don't even know if it helps. It could be in their head, like the placebo effect. I mean, I recently listened to Steve Magnus appear on the such and some other podcast, Rich Roll or something. I forgot what it was. But I took notes because I was talking to Magnus before this story broke. And I said, look, if they're doping, they're, they're going to have two medals around their, and around their neck. And they did end up with two medals around their neck. But what strikes me is he thought this L-carnitine thing was this wonder drug when he was on it. I mean, he was seven, ten seconds a mile faster. It's not like Galen Rupp or Ritzenheim got on this drug and started running ten seconds a mile faster than they were before. So did it really work like Magnus thought it did? I don't think so, but they all certainly got on board about it. So it's just, I don't know. There's so many questions about this stuff. I mean, all right, Robert, you say stuff doesn't make a difference. A lot of people joined the Alberta Salazar group. Alberta would say they just took legal supplements right up to the limit. Ritz immediately breaks the 5K record within months of joining the group. And I'm sure immediately he got on these supplements. So legal what Ritz would say are legal supplements, but it, it, and now we had this Huntington guy who like had connections to Alberto saying like, well, you have to get on this shit. Now maybe there's some placebo effect, but like, let's, I think that's a, uh, I don't know. I'm just sick of it. Can we give another shout out though to, I used to have my source that was never wrong, but we have another source. If we don't want to mention this source, well, then we have to get rid of this segment. But we have another source. I guess you could just take out his name. But I got to say, I've been on top of this story since November of last year, November 22nd. I got a text from a source saying, reliable sources have told me the Boston Marathon champion has tested positive. I immediately tracked down the email, the text message address of Brendan Riley, who's Edna Kippegott's agent. She would be elevated to the Boston victory if this 
suspension is uphold. I said, hey, have you heard anything? We've heard that she's tested positive. They said, no, we haven't. We're actually going to Boston today. I haven't heard anything, blah, blah, blah. I don't understand why it takes almost a full year for this to come out because I guess they want to work through it. But no, I, I, I don't think so. It's like the Shelby Houlihan case. The moment the positive comes out, it needs to be announced. We have this. We're going to look into it. If they have an explanation or if it's a mistake, we will announce it. You don't keep this under wraps for 11 months. It's not positive for the sport. Well, I, I will say this, Robert. That we knew that Kip UK had, was being looked at by the AIU back in April for the 2022 Boston Marathon because remember, she didn't start the race. And at that time, her agent, Johnny Demidonna, had said that she had gotten an injection. I think he might have only said it was cortisone, but it sounded like it was a legal substance. So I th- that they were looking in for more details. And that kind of, it's not totally exactly what happened here, but if she had, in, if she had taken this substance by a legal method of, uh, a legal method, it's not an anti-doping rules violation. So the AIU may have said, hey, look, she tested positive for the substance, but we don't know exactly how it wound up in her system. If she can prove she got an injection for it, she might be okay. And they've also, it's a little complicated because they've changed the methods. Some methods that were allowed in 2021 for this substance have now changed and are illegal for 2022. So I can understand how it takes a little while, taking 11 months, that's kind of a lot, but uh, one other thing, can we give some love to Edna Kiplagat? Because if she won this race, which she's slated to be elevated to champion, if Kip PK's suspension is upheld, she would be the oldest Boston Marathon champion in history. She was 41 years old when she won the race. There's actually a few athletes who are all very similar in age. Uh, Mickey Gorman, who won in 1977, was 41 years, 8 months. Kiplagat was 41 years, 10 months, and 26 days. And then the oldest men's champion in Boston, Clarence DeMar, was 41 years, 10 months, and 12 days old. He won his seventh title. That was back in 1930. So Kiplagat was two weeks older than Clarence DeMar. She would be the oldest Boston Marathon champion in history. It would be 11 years after her first major marathon victory in New York and she's still going. She's turning 43 next month and she's set to run the New York city marathon on November 6th. So she's had one of the most incredible careers in recent marathon history. And it would be pretty crazy, you know, to have a 41 year old Boston marathon champ, but that's what it looks like. It's going to what it's going to be. So props to Edna Kiplagat. What a career. I was just going down a rabbit hole. I think I need to start listening to the Chemistry World podcast. F me, man. I'm so sick of this stuff. But this drug that I cannot pronounce, if you take it via cream, how can they tell how you didn't take it, though? It would still show up in your system, but that's not a prohibited route. So you could take it, I think, via cream the day before it's in your system and you're fine. Correct. But so that's when you have to provide documentation. Well, then, if you can show them like, hey, here's a picture of the cream or, or here's the, subscri- the prescription I was given by my doctor and it says cream. They'll, that's enough usually for the AIU, I think, to clear you. Now, if it's 
if you're trying to lie about this sort of stuff, which is what it seems like Diana Kipuke did, then they're going to go after you. But yeah, if you can document you are taking it by a, a legal method, they're not going to pursue it, I don't think. That's why I don't like these TUEs. Either ban it or don't, period. Well, it's not even a TUE, though. This is about the method. They don't. You don't need a TUE for it if you're taking it by a legal method. So if this is the equivalent of caffeine, maybe we shouldn't be banning it. Who knows? I think we need to look out. We need to find some sort of doctor or scientist who actually knows exactly how this substance works and its potential performance enhancing benefits. Maybe have them on the podcast talk to us about why this would suddenly become the hot new super drug in Kenya. All right. John, that's a genius business idea. We'll get a doctor to sponsor the podcast and then everyone can call in and like get the drugs from him. (laughs) That's not what I was proposing at all. How did Let's Run get so wealthy? Well, we have a slate of doctors, performance enhancing doctors. Oh, this is going to be like Jeffrey Brown all over again, Weldon. Okay. Shall we move on to the Amsterdam Marathon over the weekend? Robert and I talked about this a little bit on the Friday 15. We said it was notable because we have some big names making their marathon debuts. And those big names showed up. We had Alma Zayana, 2016 Olympic champion in the 10,000, former world record holder in the 10,000. She wins the race 2.17.20, breaks the fastest debut marathon record of Yalamzov Yahalor from earlier this year in Hamburg. She ran 2.17.23 in this race. So Ayana ran three seconds faster, 2.17.20. She gets the win. Second place, Genzebe de Barba the world record holder in the 1500 at 350. She runs 218.05 for her marathon debut to take second. And then third place, also under 219, Sehe Gemachu, also making her marathon debut. So Ethiopian debutants go one, two, three, all of them under 219. And Ayana is now number seven on the all-time world list. She would have, this would have been the Ethiopian record had she run it a month ago. But now she's two minutes behind that because of Tigis de Sefa in, in uh, Berlin. But Robert, what do you make of these results? Oh, I'm surprised you wanted to bring this race up because, I mean, those that listen to the supporters called, no, I nailed it. I mean, I, I said 217, 218 wouldn't surprise me. I was proven correct. And when I talked about how great these women are, you said, Robert, they used to be elite. They are no longer elite or something along the lines of that. I could play that clip to try to embarrass you. Now you eventually no, no, no. play that have... clip, actually. I'd like well, to hear the receipts. Let's hear exactly what we said on the show, Robert. Okay, can I play an eight-second segment to make you No, no, more? I want the context. Wasn't expecting to have to do this. Okay, here to me. I said, what are we expecting from these women? I'm not expecting much from her, but Ayana. Well, first of all, you're saying these women are studs, Robert. No, they were studs. Right now, they're not studs. Wait, wait, can can we keep going? You said they're not studs. You're saying the former world record holder ran 1430 on the track is no longer a stud, John. If I keep going, now you kind of defend yourself. Ayana's only 30. Ayana has... 
Yeah, her halftime isn't that good. 67-10. I mean, that's better than my PB. So that's right around Emily Sisson territory. So that can reach, that can that can translate to 218. And but she's run 14-32 this year, 30-48. I mean, this woman certainly a 218 would not shock me. 217 wouldn't shock me, John. Stay uh, age. Yeah, it would it wouldn't shock wouldn't shock me either, Robert, with the shoes. Well, I guess I shouldn't try to embarrass you, John. We ultimately both said that 217, 218 wouldn't shock us, and that's what happened. But I I was I think this is a great story for Ayana. This is a woman that ran one race where she was dead last at the pre-classic in 2019 for four years. That's really hard to do. So if you're a college runner right now, a high school runner struggling with injury, remember, talent does not go away. So she was really upbeat about this. To see this, to see that performance, the happiness was great. For Debaba, hey, of course she's suspicious as hell, but she is the greatest range in the history of the sport. I came up with this stat. It's kind of annoying to have to figure it out, but she is the only person in the world ranked in the top um, 20 or top, really the only person in the world ranked in the top 75 in both the marathon and the 1500 all-time ranking. She's in the top 20 of both, which is crazy how her range. I mean, she is the world record holder at the 1500. And would you say she was in the marathon, John? She's 19th. That's amazing. There's only three other women in the top 100 of both, and they're both, and they're all way back. Actually, all Ethiopians, by the way. No Kenyans have ever done this. But or two other women. Galetta Burka is 74th in the 1500 and 77th in the marathon. And Besu Sadu, who most people don't even know, is 98th in the 1500. She's actually tied for 100th. And I'm sure there might be an indoor time ahead of her that would knock her out. And 91st in the marathon. And on the men's side, the only people in the top 100 in both is Mo Farah. He's, this is crazy. He's much better at the 1500 all-time list. 13th. He's number 91 in the marathon, so he'll be shortly leaving that list. But you do got, we got to admit that the range is pretty amazing, John. Well, it's pretty amazing if it's natural. And I think there are still questions about that. But I, also, Robert, come on. We can't get credit for saying it wouldn't surprise me if certain results happen. If we're going to make, we make plenty of predictions on this podcast. Give us credit when we get predictions right. Saying, oh, this wouldn't surprise me. You can't take victory laps for that, and I'm not going to. And I also say, uh, at the very start of that clip, you said you weren't expecting much from DeBarber, and she actually ran 218. So that's a negative prediction there. But anyway, the Ayana thing is crazy, though, Robert. Like, from 2015 to 2017, she was one of the best distance runners in the entire world. She was the world champ in the 5K in 2015. 2016, she's the Olympic champ in the 10K. She breaks the world record in that race, destroys the world record, takes 14 seconds off of it in Rio. 2017, she basically doesn't race all year, but then shows up at the world championships and crushes everyone in the 10K. And then after that, double knee surgery in 2018. She doesn't race at all. 2019, sounds like she's still recovering from the knee surgery. She runs that one race, like you said, Robert, 8.57 for dead loss to the pre-classic. 2020, COVID hits. She gets pregnant, gives birth in November. 2021, she doesn't race at all. Maybe still coming back from pregnancy. But like you said, 
2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. That's four years she ran one race. She comes back this year, 68, 22 half marathon in April. Then 14, 32, 30, 48 on the track. 67, 10 at the Great North Run. And now 217, 20. So a year ago, we would have said, oh, 217, 20. She might be the best marathon in the world right now. I'm not sure about that. This was a big negative split, like you said, 69-20-6 opening half. That was the same opening half as Emily Sisson ran Chicago a week earlier, and Ayana runs more than a minute faster. So she might have been able to go even faster. The big takeaway for me here is it seems like all of these different top athletes have somehow managed to all sign up for different full marathons because we had... Yahalor in London, 217.26, she wins fairly handily. We have Ayana winning handily in Amsterdam, 217.20. We had Tiki Sasefa winning handily in Berlin, 215. So, and then we had Ruth Chepengedich, 214, blowing everyone out in Chicago. All of them have sort of spread their performances across the majors and Amsterdam. And I'm curious what happens next spring. Are they all going to end up at least three of these women? You've got to think. Plus, Jip Chirchir and Bridget Cosguy are going to end up in London and having some massive showdown. And I, I can't. I already can't wait for the 2023 spring marathon season. And we've still got New York to come this year and Valencia. Thank you for mentioning Valencia, John. Thank you. Well, you'd think they would clash at London, but hey, there's 250,000. Reasons to go to Nagoya. Got to remember that. I, I don't. Ca- I mean, I don't really mind where they run. If they all get together and race each other in Nagoya, I'll be excited for that as well. That's actually time zone perspective. That's better now for for U.S. fans at least because that's an evening race. I don't know if it's on TV though. I think so as well. I think so as well. I was implying that they would all go there. That one of them would go there. We probably should talk a little bit about the men's race. In Amsterdam, by the way, the TCS, Amsterdam Marathon, TCS is pumped. We're talking about people who support the sport. They pump so much money into the sport. Thank you. But nine men, the second time in history, nine men have broken 206 in the same race. But I was talking to you about this offline, John. Like, it's kind of hard. Like, that makes it super competitive, but it's like nine names that most people don't know. I was saying, even if it was nine American names, like, somebody's still got to finish ninth. Like, the marathon is so competitive. Like there's really no consistency in who's running 205.50 and 205.30 and one's finishing first one race, sixth the next race, eighth. It's just so hard to predict such a small margin of victory uh, of error. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Why do we get excited about this women's race? Okay, the times are relatively faster, though I think we're starting to see that 2.17 for the women is not what we thought. It's not as fast as we thought it was a few years ago. It's still very fast, seventh all time, but it's also only fourth on the 2022 world list. So we get excited about that because it's Ayana and DeBarber as well. They're two big names in the sport running these times. On the men's side, Robert, I mean, the winner is Segei Gedichu. I don't think any of us really know very much about him. And 204.49, the time isn't, it's quick, but it's not going to, move the needle. If you have nine guys, like if you're watching the race, if I got up early to watch Amsterdam, which confession, I didn't. 
I'm sure it would have been pretty compelling to see nine guys all still battling it out and how that race played out at the end. But when we're just recapping it, talking about the results, it's hard to get super pumped when there's no big names and there's no fast times. You know what I'm saying? I see it. One other thing about the women's race, third placer was 23-year-old Sehe Gemetru. This to me is why Americans actually should I was thinking our best bet to medal is in the marathon, but maybe it's the track because how many Africans can afford to race on the track unless they're one of the very best in the world? I mean, I don't know what her endorsement deal is, but this woman was fourth in the world on the track in the 5,000 in 2019, and she's already running the marathon because I have no idea what she made in this race, but I assume it was at least $20,000 for running to 1859. Is she getting that on the track? Okay, but Robert, which events did Americans come close to meddling at at the 2020 Olympics? They did medal in the women's marathon. They weren't close in the 5K or 10K. You, you might say, I think marathon, like it's a wider swath of talent, but the conditions of an Olympic marathon, and we know there's going to be hills in Paris. It's probably going to be hot as well. That's just an equalizer where it can bring those very top women back to the pack. Whereas in, in the track, if there are three or four total studs, which there almost always are in an Olympic 5K or 10K final, just there's no Americans who've shown they can, at least recently, can get up to that level. We have had Americans medal in those events. You know, Shalane Flanagan did it. Cara Goucha did it. But even Emily Infeld did it. But if you had to say right now, what's the Americans' best bet for a med- Actually, all right, I'm going to put this to you. 2024 Paris Olympics. What is more likely, an American woman medals in the marathon or in the 5K or 10K? The marathon. I think so as well. Definitely. I guess all I'm trying to say is I think there's a ton of of talented African runners. And and it's probably not the winners. But, you know, that moved to the marathon for financial reasons before they necessarily would. All right. Another marathon topic I wanted to address. Do you guys see this? Kira D'Amato is now running the New York City Marathon in her ongoing quest to run every marathon on planet Earth in the year 2022. This is her fourth marathon of the year. Remember, she ran Houston back in January, set the American record at the time, 219.12. She ran the World Championships in July on two weeks' notice. Then she ran Berlin, end of September, 221 there. And now six weeks after Berlin, she's running New York. So four marathons in one year, all at the age of 30. She's turning 38 this week. It's kind of crazy to me. Do you expect anything from her? This is a woman who has bounced back pretty well from races. She ran 221 at Worlds. That was about 10 weeks after... Sorry, 221 in Berlin, about 10 weeks after Worlds. And then... She's trying to do New York six weeks after that. Do you guys think she, she can do anything in New York? Or what are you expecting here? What do you mean do anything? I certainly expect her to be the top American and finish in the top five in New York, which will be play well on TV and will be nice for them. And but top American. You, so you just, she is racing against Emma Bates, who beat her at the world championships. She's racing against Alphine Tulimak, who has had some setbacks in her training recently, but you know, did win the Olympic trials in 2020. I don't think it's a given. I I think Bates might be the favorite for top American right now, actually. 
Should I confess? I didn't know Emma Bates was running it. But I, the only reason why I said that was I just was looking. I pulled up my spreadsheet to see how thin this field was in New York. And there's five women with PBs under 222. She's one of them. By the way, Perez Jipchircher, the Olympic Boston and New York champion, is out with an injury. I didn't see any. I thought it was very weird. The press release doesn't mention what type of injury. Like, what a joke our sport is. Can't you tell us what injury she's out with? Ten Kenyans test positive for some random drug, and then a day later, the, the, the headliner pulls out of your marathon, and there's no mention of what injury it is? That makes me suspicious. Now, I, it's, not, it's probably not fair. It's probably just the fact that these New York people are more interested in having a non-binary division than treating the elite race like a real sport. But anyways... I'm glad she's been added to the field because there aren't that many fast names in it. Yeah, sheer baits, but whatever. I expect her to run. Look, I said this at Worlds. I think her training, Scott Rasko's training, this makes some people suspicious. It doesn't make me suspicious. I mean, she's older. She's gotten a lot faster. It's not a super high mileage. You're running pretty fast all the time. She's always about six weeks away from a PB or from a, from a good good showing. So, you know, she said she was always contemplating doing this race. I think she'll be fine. I think she'll be in good shape. She'll certainly run the equivalent of an under 225 performance, which I think will get her top five. Mm, I don't know. I'm not quite as optimistic. I feel like I know she has bounced back and run well at these races, but it's, I feel like it's, I don't know. She's just going to, at some point someone has a bad race and she has, she's run three pretty good marathons this year. I just wonder if at some point, she has a bad one. And to me, six weeks after running Berlin, maybe she just tried, is trying to push it too much. I look, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And this doesn't count as a prediction. We recovered saying I wouldn't be surprised like top five, but I also think I could easily see her being the third or fourth American in this race. If she, I don't think she'd sign up for this. If she didn't feel like she was recovered from Berlin, but Sarah Hall's running this race. Emma, Bru Emma, sorry, Emma Bates is running this race. Alphine Tulliamuk, Des Linden, Nell Rojas, who was the top American in the last two Boston marathons. I wouldn't. I could see all of those beating her if she's not quite on her A game. Now I could also see, like you said, top five if she she's got the fastest PR in paper. But I don't know. I'm 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 glad she's in the race, like you said, Robert, because it adds more intrigue. I certainly she's a she's a good interview. She's good at promoting the races, this sort of thing. Uh, I'm glad she's in the field. But I think it's going to be a, a, quite a battle between all those Americans I just listed. I don't think I'm anyone should be handing Kira D'Amato top American honors. The one other thing I'll say, Runner's World spoke to Demadonna after the Kipukate positive test on Friday. He asked, they asked her, sorry, Sarah Lodge Butler, the reporter, asked Demadonna why Perez Jip Chia Chia pulled out of New York because Demodonna is also Perez Jepchirchir's agent. And he claimed it had nothing to do with these positive tests and that there was a tear in her gluteus. So that is the official reason that's been given to the media. It wasn't listed in the press release, though. Well, good for him. Again, this guy's getting praise nonstop. I don't think he's getting nonstop praise. I mean, a lot of people are bashing him because two of his athletes just tested positive. But three, three John, three. He already he, he's <laughs> he's he's uh, you know, what? paved the way that the third one's coming. But for Debato, this is smart, John. Strike when the iron's hot. 
She's older. She broke the American record. Probably hundreds of, I don't know what the appearance fee would be for the arguably the best marathon in the world, the defending champion, the Olympic champion coming back, but at least six figures just opened up for this race. Take some of that money while you can. And for New York, they needed some star power because otherwise this race was pretty thin, as you said. We got Goitam Gebrselassie, the world champ. It was the world champ versus the Olympic champ. And then after that, like New York is very good at sort of having a sculpted race with storylines instead of a big mass open field. But you lose to Church here, it's not, it's not as strong. You know, you got Lona Salpeters run 217, but that that's sort of, I mean, in terms of sub-220 women, that's it. You got Edna Kippelgott, who's now 42. I'm not expecting much from her. D'Amato, Gabriel Selassie, and Salpeter. But also Helen O'Berry's debut, which is a nice, that's a very interesting thing. So we still have stuff to look forward to in New York for sure. Look, I used to complain about them not having the numbers, but now I like the storyline. So I play it both ways. I didn't realize all those Americans are in it. Whatever. Maybe she won't be the top American. I'm glad she's running. I agree with you. But I was trying to find who out was in the field. I have my spreadsheet with the PBs. I was trying to figure out the names. And I Googled New York City Marathon site, let's run.com to see what we had up. And this nonsense press release, I guess employee 1.1 put up. This is insane. They put out a press release yesterday saying, TCS New York City Marathon announces expanded exclusivity initiatives. Has anyone seen this? You guys had talked about this. I didn't think they were actually doing it this year. They're offering non-binary prize money. This is absolutely insane. Why don't they offer prize money for atheists or Christians or Muslims, whatever you believe in? Your belief should have nothing to do with elite sport, period. If we were starting sports from scratch, we would probably have, all right, everyone go run a race. And then after a while, we'd realize all the males are winning the races. So we might have open race and then female race. People that might someday be able to give birth would be in the second category. Not whether you wanted to be a man, whether you wanted to be a woman, whether you wanted to wear a damn dress or you wanted to wear pants. Or if you wanted to wear pants and be a woman or wanted to wear a dress and be a woman, it wouldn't matter to me. This is insane. I hope these Africans start showing up. I hope that, pray to God, that they do equalize the prize money. All three. Hell, do the wheelchair too. Make it equal. Male, female, non-binary, and wheelchair. And then I hope that we get some Africans that fly over here on a plane. The 205 guy that finished ninth place and got no money in Amsterdam, I hope he says, you know what? I'm non-binary. Thank you very much. I'm taking this. This money that would have gone to a woman from Africa, I'm taking it back to me because the men in Africa were losing our stature over there. We're not getting all the money like we used to. This is sick. It's discriminatory against women. And I'm going to write an op-ed. Well, and I need you to write it with me. Submit it to the New York Times. It needs to be published the week of the race. This non-binary stuff is discriminatory against a woman. If you're a woman out there, if you're an elite pro and you want to write this with me, it'd be better if we had a woman's name on it. Shailene Flanagan or Kara Goucher or someone. They probably don't want to offend the masses. But men are taking your money. That's what's going to happen. Period. Play the Rojo Rant music. Wow, that's one of our biggest Rojo rants we've had. Maybe the rant of the year in 2022. But I think, look, Roberts, your point drilled down here is we have categories in elite athletics 
we divide by sex. We don't divide by gender. So why are we suddenly adding a prize money category based on gender, whereas we've always paid it out and divided the categories by sex? It's, a, it's just a third category here that doesn't really have any bearing on elite athletic competition. I can kind of get behind that argument. I mean, look, it's fine. You can identify however you want, but when you're in a race, it's supposed to be based on sex, and that's how we divide the categories. That's not what's happening with this prize money. To me, there's too much emphasis on whether we're white, black, male, female. Like the airline shouldn't ask me what my sex is. You got my name, you got my date of birth, and you got my picture. Why do you care if I'm male or female? Maybe if you need to know my weight so the plane's balanced off, that's fine. Like these airlines, I was trying to fly JetBlue or someone's like, are you Mr. or Mrs. MX? This None of that should matter. Just put your name. I, I'm, for, I'm fine for putting less emphasis on this stuff. I kind of actually like intersex. If we we're all intersex for our day to day, it shouldn't be Mr., Mrs., Miss, none of this shit. You don't, shouldn't care if I'm married or not. That's not your business. But for sports, you, you, we're, we're doubling down on insanity. We're doubling down and dividing people. People think it's more inclusive to have a non, non-binary division. No, it's, it's less inclusive. It's discriminatory against women, period. Well, I think the, the inclusive argument, Robert, these, these are people who generally in their day-to-day life, I don't think they do get a lot of recognition of being like non-binary or they are misgendered a lot and that sort of thing. I'm not saying you need to be awarded a pri- I guess to get to your point, I'm not saying you should be awarded prize money for being non-binary, but I think, I don't know, they're, in their day-to-day lives, they're not always recognized as the identity they're choosing to be recognized as. And that's New York Roadrunners is trying to take this step to say, hey, we recognize and we value you. And I get it. But the prize money thing, I don't, they didn't say what prize money is going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a token sum. It's certainly not going to be on par. It doesn't with matter, what John. The men and women and, are getting. And I feel bad for their misgender. But guess what? A lot of they're also missexed. They're given the wrong sex. They are not a woman. They are not female, period. And Caitlyn Jenner. He was really, she was really marginalized, honored as Time Magazine Person of the Year. You kidding me? Female of the Year, excuse me. Okay, that, but that's a ridiculous argument, Robert. You're saying, okay, so one person was honored by Time as their Person of the Year, and therefore that is suddenly all of the transgender community isn't marginalized anymore? I mean, a cisgender man was Time Magazine Man of the Year a few years ago, I'm sure. That didn't make up. I mean, that means nothing to me, though, as a cisgender man. I think that's a kind of ridiculous argument. I'm saying that's discriminatory against a woman. A woman would have been that person. Is it was it was was Caitlyn Jenner the female of the year? Or was they just person of the year? I don't. She. I don't think she was time person of the year at all. They came up with some other award for her. I, I don't even know what it was, Robert. I think we're getting okay. Scrap our panties that, in a so bunch about canceled. something unimportant. Something unimportant, except every race feels the need to add it to their category. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying the, the non-binary thing. I do actually think that's that's an interesting development. I'm not saying that's unimportant. I'm saying the, the Caitlyn Jenner thing you brought up is unimportant. Well, shows Robert doesn't read any press releases that are put out. My God. But a c- couple points. One, the New York Roadrunners very quietly equaled the prize money at their non-major races for non-binary. I will use the word female and male because I think that's a better way. Uh, gender has no place in sport. Gender has no place in sport. There's no need for gender. But now maybe some of the activists will complain. Why isn't the prize money equal? 
If you're doing it for the lesser races, why not for the New York City Marathon? But anyway, let's just take one of these equal races. If you're doing that, you're taking away money from females. Let's say you have $100,000 to give away. You do $50,000 for the males, $50,000 for the females. Now, if you equalize non-binary, which is a very small division, $33,000 for each. Oh, wait. The females and the males just lost 16, a third of their prize money. Bye-bye. Gone. I mean, that, that's crazy. And who's going to win? A biological male. Because biological males still have an advantage in the non-bearing division. So you're, you're not solving anything. You're letting people feel welcome. I'm all for people feeling welcome. We're all part of the greater good of humanity. We're all individuals. We're all wonderful people. But your gender has no place. We confuse gender with sex. They're different things. I've heard there's thousands of genders. Google was asking me if I want a third gender or something, non-binary third gender. I'm like, whoa, what's... Keep it to sex, open and female. That's how it should be. Yeah. On your driver's license, it should ask for your sex, not your gender. If they need it at all, why do they even need it? Right. And they shouldn't. Ask, and I'm for that. They shouldn't ask for Mrs. Miss, MX, all this stuff. That my, my my friend, my former Hillary Clinton speechwriting friend, she, put, she puts countess because she doesn't want them knowing any damn thing about her married life, any of this stuff. Stop asking questions about things that you don't need to know. Whether you want to wear a dress, identify as whatever gender is a dog, a, a planet, a, a, an ape, a, a fairy tale, a Mickey Mouse, go ahead, do it. I don't care. But don't, but don't have a sports category, made up sports category for it. I just don't see the need for a sports category because they, they generally on racing forums, I think it asks for your sex. Maybe it says gender. They should not say gender, but let's change subjects. When John said Runner's World reported, I thought he was going to talk about a different article. But this week, Donna Stone, the CEO of the World Marathon Majors, the new CEO, made it explicit in an article to Runner's World. We had reported, John was the first person to realize this, that the World Marathon Majors had slashed their prize bonus pool for runners by 69% this year. Slopping, chopping $450,000 off, costing Elliot Kipchoge $200,000 midstream because he will be this year's World Marathon Majors winner. And I, Donna Stone immediately reached out to me, called me, and I said, hey, we're writing this article. And she said, look, we want to equalize the prize money with the wheelchairs. This is a good thing. We're going to put more money into the wheelchair race, promoting it, even though they'd raised the wheelchair prize pool very small. And I was like, okay. But what wasn't made explicit was, wait, you're slashing money from the elites. And she just came out to Runner's World article with Taylor Dutch and said, we remain committed to providing the best experience for the elite athletes, but we've become much more focused on the everyday runner and how we can inspire people to try marathon running and make it a lifelong habit. So it's explicit now. The professional running is less important for the World Marathon majors I think we have to accept that. And if they want to expand, it's going to water down their product even more. They're going to expand in some, they're all about the experience and expression, but they're going to expand most likely into China, which is a very repressive country where people cannot. So it's very interesting what they'll do when they're given money. We'll see what happens there. But John, I would say get those tickets for Valencia. 
we need to start treating Valencia as the next major, maybe even better than one of these majors because it, the quality of the field is there. They have a billionaire that backs it. It's a first class. It's it's the running city in the world. It's the number one running city in the world. I think, right? That's what they're trying to establish themselves as. La Ciudad de Running, de Career, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, well then, I think, as you said, we already kind of knew this because of their actions. This is what happens when you slash the prize money. It's clear. And it's also, if you follow how they present themselves, they're big into the six-star finishing medal. They want everyone, you know, that's targeted towards mass runners. And look, I, do I like that they're cutting the prize money? We already discussed this. No, but they gave this a shot. I, I will give some credit to the World Marathon Majors. Could they have done some things better over the past 15 years or so? Maybe. But for 15 years, because they started this thing in 2005, 2006, so maybe more than that, they tried to create this series. They had pretty big prize money for the series, for the year-long series. It started out as 500000 for the men's winner, 500000 for the women's winner. And I think their hope was, we get all these races together, we have a series, we have big prize money, Certainly big, you know, for running, maybe compared to some of the other pro sports, it's not as big. This might help develop our stars. It makes it more of a spect- entertaining spectator product. People are excited in this. And we grow the pro side of the sport. And they haven't really, I don't think they've seen the returns they want to. I mean, look at. What do you mean they haven't seen the returns? They've now marketed themselves as the six majors. They've gotten the returns. They used the elites and now they're screwing them. No, they're no, throwing no. them down the thing. Is- they're throwing them away. Look, 100%. Right. They built the brand off the elites. Now they don't need them. Let's throw them away. We don't need the black and brown faces anymore. We're going to give it to, to, to the people who can afford a $25,000 wheelchair and act like we're diverse. No, no, no. All right. We're yeah, going to do look, budget cuts. Well- we don't want to do, we don't want to pay the elites anymore. So we're going to do budget cuts and claim it's for, in the name of diversity. It's called woke washing. When you cut your budget and claim it's for other people, that's what it is. They don't want to spend as much money on the pros and whatever. Like And Abbott, as a medical company, Abbott sponsors World Marathon Majors. They sponsor some of these wheelchair racers individually. Maybe Abbott's, they're like, hey, this is probably what the what the medical company wants. Who knows what's going on behind the scenes, John? But, but it's $70,000 a race, right? Essentially, what's going on? That's like some mid-level salary for somebody. They're just saying, look, this isn't important. Bye-bye. I think it's a, it's a, it's a travesty. I think you should pay the runners more than the wheelchair races. I think the runners are what the, what most people want to see. And hey, if they're going to water down the product, fine. Like John, don't pat them on the back for this. No, I'm I'm not patting them on and the John, back. And John, you could also argue that the $500,000 reduced the appearance fee because if you if, if you were set to win the $500,000, well you better ran, run New York for less money instead of going to an Amsterdam or a Valencia where they might pay you $75,000 more because you got the 500 on the cran. So it wasn't even costing them $500,000 a year because they could reduce the price. They could reduce the appearance fees as well. It was like a monopoly up front. But, right. Rob, Rob, I, it's stream. They took money for $450,000. That was going to go to some diversity from Africa, impoverished country, everything they want. And instead now it's going to go to some Western European. Well, I guess the money's not going but like th- come on stop with the diversity bullshit can i just make a point here for a second haven't we said for a while that some of these appearance fees look I, look i want elite athletes to get paid this is a professional sport okay but haven't we sort of said a lot of sponsorship contracts in the sport appearance fees it's kind of like 
are the entities that are paying them out getting a big return on these investments? If you pay $50,000 to get the third best American marathon in your race, are you really getting much of a return on that? If, or if you're paying $100,000 to sponsor the sixth best American marathon in a year, is that are you seeing those returns for your shoe brand? What do you what do you mean return, John? It's the New York Roadrunners. It's a nonprofit devoted to promoting running. What do you want them to make a profit off everything? I'm just saying maybe they don't see the. That's actually a good point, there, Robert. But I don't know. Maybe they. John, I believe the elites inspire the next generation. I started running. I don't know as a kid. I saw the New York City Marathon. I know I saw Greta White's because she was winning all the time. I probably saw Alberto Salazar. I don't know, but I loved it. I was a kid. I was like, wow, these people are so inspiring. But the New York City Marathons, it's on TV internationally because it's got the best of the best. Not just because it has 50,000 runners running through New York. I'm a former Marine Corps mar Marathon winner. No one gives a shit who wins the Marine Corps Marathon because there's no prize money. But hey, let's keep this show moving. I do look. I I don't like that they're cutting the prize money. I just want to be on the record for that. And I think that equalizing it with the wheelchair athletes, an event that no one really is interested in, and that they're drawing from a much smaller talent pool, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. My worry, my worry is that that now that the world marathon majors, the prize pool is very very small for that. That they're going to continue cutting into the elite athlete budgets for appearance fees and for prize money. And if they do that, which it sounds like the prize money, I think the appearance fees have already been cut this year uh, for some of the world marathon majors. If that continues to happening, that is very worrying to me. And I think like what you said earlier, the world marathon majors did a great job of establishing this brand. They said, we're sort of the six best marathons in the world. If they, now that they the the series long season long series doesn't matter as much, and especially if they expand to up to nine marathons in a couple of years, that brand they've worked hard to achieve maybe it still exists for the regular runner, but for the fans of elite running like us, world marathon majors isn't going to mean the same thing anymore. It's it's going to be about what are the events where the best athletes are going, where, where you're paying out the most money in prize and appearance fees. And that's like you said, that's Valencia, Weldon. It might still be London, might still be Boston. But we're not just going to say, oh, you are a major world marathon major. You're worthy of being paid attention to. That's going to be a label that matters to the elite, to the mass runners and not to the fans of elite sport. Right. Because of the label, it's like the PGA Golf Tour. People pay more attention to it than the Live. Live has created something, but it doesn't mean anything. And we give some attention to the races. Like Tokyo became a major. We started giving it more attention. But Nagoya has a $250,000 first place prize. We're going to have to start paying attention. And Valencia, it's got everything. It's had the 5K record on the roads. Track, 10K. The Valencia Half Marathon, this weekend, by the way, I'm sure it'll be stacked. The Valencia Marathon is arguably better than some of the majors. And that leads me to the email of the week. From Let's Run visitor Tomek Bakinski. He's a 45-year-old Pole who lives in Austin, Texas. First of all, thank you guys for all you do for the sport and beyond. I've been a follower for a long time. And of course, a member from the very beginning, testing stage. For those of you who don't know, that means he's a supporters club member. He pays us every year to listen to our great content. You get a second podcast every week, the Friday 15, where we break down the weekend action. 
You get discounts on running shoes. It's the subscription that pays for itself. And he says, I'm going to Valencia to race the marathon. You guys have been talking about going to Valencia to send John or not. I'm thinking for sure. Let's run to go and check what this Valencia craziness is about. I'm going because it's cheaper to fly, stay and race Valencia than go to Cal International, for example. And it's probably way cooler too. Here we go, John. To make John's case, or if anyone wants to come, I have a spare room in Valencia's most popular neighborhood. Close to the start finish as well. Here's the Airbnb place. Airbnb's folks are very reasonable. He's got a link there. He fly, He bought a ticket on Lufthansa. 600 bucks round trip. I mean, that's crazy. And I wrote him back. I was like, is it really cheaper than Valencia? He's like, look, I get a trip to Europe out of this instead of flying to Sacramento. The flights aren't that much of a difference. It cost him 80 euros only to run the Valencia Marathon. I mean, this city is stunningly beautiful. Entered in May, 80 euros, less than 100 bucks to run what is maybe becoming one of the premier or the premier marathons in the world. So I think people... To me, the concept of going to race at running a marathon in Europe, it just seems sort of daunting. But this guy's saying, like, look, you're going to have a great four or five day weekend. You should consider it. So, John, look at those flights, man. I will. I'll definitely will. And I realized I might, I think we brought this up on one of the podcasts last week about whether to go to Valencia. I was like, oh, I'm worried about the World Cup. Then I realized it's in Europe. All the World Cup games are going to be in the afternoon or the evening, the race is in the morning. Even if England's playing, I'm sure they will be. And the knockout stages of the World Cup by that point, the game would be in the evening. It wouldn't conflict with my ability to cover the race in the morning. So, yeah, I'll definitely look into flights. All right, I want to get to something we teased at the start of the show. I'll admit, I didn't even know what I was talking about. I just read what was on the prompter in front of me. I'm like Ron Burgundy. A two-time Foot Locker finalist tells us why running isn't popular. Who is this referring to? Can someone enlighten me? This person is the only person that's known John Kellogg longer than my brother and myself. The great Paul Stoneham. This guy was so good at running and so into it. He went to the University of Texas his freshman year. They were like top 10 in the country and cross country and like probably around like 1994. Or not, no, right around 1992 or something like that. But he thought they weren't serious about running. So he transferred to D2 Adams State to run for Joe Vigil. But he's a Cowboys fan. Well, now we're watching the game. The Cowboys got down 20 to nothing or something like that and started coming back despite being dominated in the game. And just one point in the middle of the game, he texted, That's why track and field is a sport and football is a game and games are more fun. 100%. 100%. And that gets to my confession of the week. If um, if I haven't already been canceled by this time of the show, and, and hopefully this still is getting out on air, hopefully Apple or Google or Facebook hasn't canceled me, but I had the opportunity on Sunday night to go to a banquet where Kenisa Bekele was there, maybe 20 Ethiopian Olympians. I think I told you some of the names of the others, John. What was the... Uh, Zaratu Tulu, it sounds like. Zaratu Tulu was going to be there. Yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, Teferi Debebe, friend of Let's Run. He, I met him at World Cross Country in Jordan. He won the green card lottery. He lived with my parents for almost a year, rent-free, as he got established here. 
He now lives in DC, which is an hour away from where I live. He calls me up on like Friday afternoon. He's like, Hey Robert, I've been driving Bekele around all week. I'm like, what? Bekele? Where? When? He's like, he's in DC for a road race. I'm not sure. Somebody was putting on a road race in DC and driving him and his three kids around. And can you come to the race? I said, no, it's my 10th anniversary tomorrow, dude. I can't come. Thanks for the one day notice, by the way, to Ferry. He said, what about Sunday night? There's a big banquet with all the Ethiopian Olympians. And I was like, Sunday night, Cowboys, Eagles, no way in hell am I missing the NFL game. I've been waiting all week for this, baby. Let's Run Nation may be devastated, but I'm not going. And I did call you up, John, to admit I wanted you to know flat out I wasn't going to meet Bekele, have dinner with him. It's better to be removed from your heroes anyway so I can objectively analyze them. But I skipped it for the Cowboy game, and then I had so much fun watching that game. And then the runner told me why. The game is more entertaining than a sport. I mean, my other favorite football team, the Baltimore Ravens, they dominated the Giants this week but lost. That doesn't happen in running. You can't dominate a game in running and lose. But you can dominate soccer and lose. You can dominate the NFL and lose. So it's just entertaining. Do you agree? Yeah, but... Well, yeah, is football a more exciting spectator sport than running? I would say yes. But running, it's different in that most most of the really exciting parts just come in short bursts. Like a marathon, for a three-hour football game, you could see an exciting play on the very first play of a football game. You could see it in the middle of a game. And you certainly can see it at the end. The marathon, the... Opportunities for a very exciting moment in a marathon are a lot smooth, are a lot smaller. Maybe someone makes a crazy break, but once they've broken three, like you know, what do you? We're just waiting for them to blow up, I guess. It's more of a slow burn thing. And okay, maybe you see something crazy, but there are far fewer opportunities. It's like oh, someone falls down or they miss their water bottle. Football, you can have a turnover, you can have a touchdown at any moment. So the potential for excitement is a lot higher. But if you look at track, I mean. I'd put the two minutes of a global 800 meter final up there with anything else in any sport. That's like the most exciting you can get or the men's hundred meter final or any sprint final, essentially. They're all really, really exciting. They just don't last for very long. And so much of what we have at those global championships is like prelims where you already kind of know who's going to win. So I, I think the highs of track and field and running are just as high as any sport but there's just fewer opportunities for them. You make a great point. Well, the 800 though reminds me of football a little bit, like because there's some tactics involved. There's some randomness involved. There's following, but you've better pay attention for the whole time. Cause every minute matters. And the, the but I, your point about how the highs of track are really high is a great one. And that's why I always tell my parents, like they live in Austin, Texas, and CAs are, well, what day should it go? My go, my mom would go. We should just say, we should tell the average fan they should call it like prelim days or hardcore fan days or something. Like, don't even bother to go to the first days. Go to the last day of the NCAA championships. Every final, the, the, the 10 seconds of the 100 final is amazing. 11 seconds for the women. The, even the one minute for the 400 or whatever. Like, it's high drama. Every second matters. Yeah, the final day of NCAAs, that's even if you're not a track fan, you can appreciate the greatness there because people will be saying, oh, this is a world leading time or whatever. But 
that the payoff of being a fan during the regular season, or at least following the results, is you kind of get to learn some of the storylines and the characters going in. So then when you see someone like Joseph Fumbler winning, I mean, I guess very quickly, if you've got a competent commentator, they're going to alert you to the fact that Joe Fumbler has a, sm- a, b- a bad start or a sl- you know, s- slower start compared to his, his rivals. And that's how it's, it's, he, if he's going to win, he's going to come from behind. But if you know, for, you know, if you follow these storylines over multiple years, you get to enjoy it a little better. It makes the world championships better, certainly, if you know the storylines and the characters going in. But even a non-track fan can show. My mom showed up to the world championships, and she's not a diehard track fan, but she really enjoyed it because you, you know you get a world record in the semifinals of the one hundred hurdles. You, you know that means anyone knows what a world record means. You don't need to explain that. You know. Fortunately, I missed that world record, John. I was underneath the barrels of the stadium watching on a TV screen. I know too much, John. I figured, hey, nothing happens. Wait a second. You were at you were actually at Haywood Field? I thought you were still at McMenamin's for the Let's Run meetup. No, no. I left early, John, to get my free bag. You told me that the giveaway backpack that they <laughs> like, get at Worlds, which usually is a joke, is a good one. And I'm like, some of the Let's Run people were... were Leaving, we had a let's run meetup the day of the 100 meter hurdle finals and semifinals. And I kind of looked at the schedule and we're having a good time at this bar and people were like, hey, I got to go. And I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, the semis of the hurdles, you know, nothing happens then. I'm going to go get my bag. Toby Amison world record. But wait, did you see the Mondo world record that day too? That was the final event. It was after all the track events were over. Did you leave the stadium stands? before he set that world record. I had to be there, right? I, yeah. Do you remember watching it with your own eyes? I was there, but I thought he wasn't going to get it or something. I wasn't as pumped up. I don't know. Because some of his world records I've definitely seen on screens. You know, so many on TV, but I, it's weird. That one doesn't move the needle for me like one of the Bolt ones. Well, okay. no. I'm getting I'm jaded. Just... I'm getting jaded a bit. I was in the stadium. I will say that much. In my seat, yes. Okay, well, because... For the I remember World Indoors, I did not see Mondo's world record in person because it was the same situation. It was after all the track events had gone. I went down to the media center and to hear the roar from the stands. All right, it was the Mondo world record in Eugene was pretty awesome. Okay, no, wasn't Bolt. Nothing's Bolt. A men's hundred meter world record, yeah, that's going to be more exciting than pole vault world record, especially when he's breaking it for like the third time. But I don't know, it was pretty freaking cool. Okay, couple things here. Point of order, if we do a little NCA cross-country. I thought that's what we we're mostly going to be talking about. We went into depth on the Friday 15, but that this weekend was a little light, but I guess not. Real quick, Robert mentioned Austin, Texas. For any shoe store owners, think of going to the running event this year. It's in Austin, December 1st, the week, a few days before that. You should go. It's a big industry trade conference because Jesse Williams and Sound Running, his cross champs are going to be held in conjunction with the running event this year. Um, essentially, this is going to be, you know, like most of the top teams competing against each other. Like uh, he's got most of them coming. I'm not sure it's, they're coming, you know, but imagine every year if we have this like industry trade event, we have like Bowerman versus OAC versus. Well, Union Athletics really probably can't have much of a team, but you know, Tenman Elite, who knows who's going to be there. So if you're thinking about it, go. 
I guess that means I have to go since my parents are there. I have no excuse. And real quickly, while we're rewarding a, oh, and also that race, I'm not even sure what this means. It's a world cross country gold level race, John. I think that means you can get qualifying points for world championships for the 10 K. So a lot of America's top 10 K runners might really think about putting this one on the, on the schedule. It's actually called the fitness bank cross champs. They've got a sponsor here. I think that is how it works. And that's smart of them to have it in Austin the same weekend as the running event. So I hope people show up. I hope it's a good event because we need more of that. I talked to Jesse. Maybe we'll have him on the podcast next week over the weekend. And we also had, we're talking about how TCS sponsors a lot of stuff. They're an Indian company. There's a lot of big running events in India. The Vedanta Delhi Half Marathon. Vedanta is a big, I guess, energy conglomerate. This is one of the richest half marathons in the world. Twenty. They've got a good price structure. 27 for first, 20,000 for second, 13,000 for third. It's none of this, you know... You, Show up and get third. You get completely screwed. The winners, Irene Cheptai. She actually dominated. This is a former, she was like the 2000. 2017 World Cross Country Champion. Yeah, we were there in Uganda. She won this thing by over a minute over Dawat Sayam. But, so I guess we're going to have another like 216 marathon in her hands here, John. Because it's hot in Delhi. Men's what race time, one oh six forty two. Yeah, I mean, put, she goes to the marathon. Put her in a fast race. Could see another. I wouldn't be surprised if she ran two seventeen or two eighteen. To quote Robert, men's race wasn't as quick though. Well, then you, I think you were going to mention the results. Ragasa Chala of Ethiopia, sixty thirty, taking the win. It's kind of. Clump finish, Felix Kipkowicz of Kenya, second, 60-33. Boki Deribi, Ethiopia, 60-34, third. I'll, the, I mean, the interesting thing here is the guy I think I would have picked as pre-race favorite, Mukhtar Edris, two-time world, cross, world champion in the 5,000. He was all, all the way back in eighth place. So I guess I'm a little surprised he didn't run faster. And he's a 58-minute half marathon guy. So I mean, it's not like people are like, oh, the half's too far for him. He's really good. And like Deribi, the guy at third, he's like, these guys are so young. According to this article I'm reading from Indian newspaper, he's only 20. And it's kind of interesting, John, because they get the press releases, but I'm also reading some Indian news website now. They immediately start talking about like the first Indian finisher who won the Indian champ- championships as well. So... Indian running media isn't too different from American. Well, running I, media. I'm actually shocked here that it was close because Avinash Sable, he's the one Indian distance runner I've heard of. Uh, you know, he was a silver medalist in the steeple at the Commonwealth Games this year, world championship finalist. He has a personal best of 8.11 in that event. He's a world class steeplechaser and he's run 60 30 in the half marathon before. He was the top Indian in 14th, but he only ran 64 flat, and that was right in front, right with another guy, Kartik Kumar, 64 flat. I wonder if he was just running with a training partner or something, or taking it easy, because I would think normally Sable would be way way faster than all the other Indians. No, John. 
According to the article I'm reading here, this was a fierce finish. The duo clocked an identical 64 minutes, but the top-billed Sable was declared the winner by the technical officials of the Athletics Federation of India after investigating the footage in a statement released by the Delhi Half Marathon. Whoa, we got a Tomo Felix situation? We didn't get a runoff here? They could have run, done a 200-meter runoff. And I don't see anything about a non-binary division, so I guess that's not the rage there yet. Okay, shall we get to the cross-country talk? Because I'm shocked it's taken us this long, honestly. I thought we were going to talk about it the whole time, and y'all got off on non-gender, non-binary stuff and got me We got off, off on the non-binary stuff, yes. We were certainly the ones who were talking all about that, right? right well, it's so crazy, Rob, because on our Monday call, we got sidetracked by this, because I had seen the press release, and Robert didn't know what I was talking about. He's like, what do you talk, why do we talk about this? He brings it up all the time. Anyway, college cross country. So Robert and I broke down the Nutty Comb Invitational on Friday as it happened. Big wins there for Caitlin Tui. NC State small win. Her team, they beat NC, sorry, they beat New Mexico in the tiebreaker. They were both 80 points, but New Mexico's, sorry, NC State's number one, number two, and number four runners beat. New Mexico is number one, number two, and number four. That's how the tiebreakers decided in college cross country. So they won. On the men's side, Kai Robinson of Australia in Stanford. He out, comes from fourth to first over the final 200 meters to take the individual title. Holds off Nico Young of Northern Arizona, who is second. Stanford win the men's team race easily. So coming out of this race, one of our narratives was Caitlin Tui, clearly the woman to beat at the NCAA Cross Country Championships next month in Oklahoma. She won this race by five seconds over her teammate, Kelsey Camille. And two weeks earlier, she had won the Notre Dame Invitational, easily defeating Mercy Chellengott, who was the 2020 NCAA champ in cross country, the NCAA 10K champ from June. So everything's coming up, Tui. This is our preseason prediction. All appears to be in order. And then on Saturday, at the Arturo Barrios Invitational at Texas A&M, Florida's Parker Valby, the NCAA runner-up in the 5,000 behind Caitlin Tui last spring, won the race with a time of 1858.3 for the 6,000-meter course. That is as far as we can remember. That's the fastest women's 6K time we've seen for a collegiate cross-country race. Now, Can we stop with this nonsense, John? Uh, yeah, rub it, rub it. I'm trying to put this in context, okay? You're I'm just regurgitating saying- stuff that people already know. First of all, it's not a 6K course. Well, go ahead. All right. Maybe not everyone follows college cross-country as detailed as we do, Robert. I'm sure there are people here who've heard about it, but for those who haven't, I'm trying to give the context. Yeah, we did reach out to the coach at Texas A&M, Wendell McRaven. He said it might be 30 or 40 meters short. And we don't try, we don't get too excited about cross-country times. We try not to at let'srun.com. But she won the race by 64 seconds. And she beat Addie Engel, the runner-up from Ohio State. She's a 15-59 woman. She was 66th at NCAA cross last year. That's a massive margin to be winning a race by. People, there are multiple threads on the message board. People are freaking out. Parker Valby, is she this amazing, you know, is she the greatest talent in American distance running right now? You know, is she the favorite for NCAAs? 
blah, blah, blah. Especially because if you remember NCAA track last year, she finished second behind Tui. That was only a month. Rem- she had a broken foot and missed most of the spring. Her first race back, her first week of running back at SECs, she finished second in 1532. Then by the time of NCAA, she's still only running on solid ground twice a week. She's only doing workouts on the ground. Pretty much everything else is cross-training. And she gets second at NCAAs, running two times a week. Now she's up to three or four times a week. She's winning, blowing away a field here in a very fast time. I put the question to you, Robert. What do you make of this? Should Parker Valby be the favorite for NCAA Cross now instead of Kelsey, uh, Caitlin Tuey? What I make of it? Super, super impressive. I mean, she won. Look, it's not a sub 18 or sub 19 because if you add 30 meters to it, it goes over that time. So I don't really care about times, but times on the same course do mean something to me compared to the competition. Normally, the women's winning time here is 85% of the men's time, and her race was 81%. She beat the second place by 64 seconds. The second place for ran basically what the time would normally be to win. So super impressive. Is she could she win in CAs? Absolutely. Is that really a shock? That we need to take a big picture back. This woman got second in the NCA 5K while running two days a week. That's crazy. What's also crazy is that there's a message board thread in her that's 25 pages long. I can't believe that this one result has caused that big a thing. But a lot of people are like, this doesn't make any sense. Is she on drugs? The th- and we like free discussion, but to me, this thread's like ridiculous, but I get it. Like if, if you're a runner, you're like, you pride yourself on your work and your mileage. This woman barely runs. She's this good. Well, guess what? Natalie Cook of Oklahoma State was blowing away the high school records last year, barely running herself. So I think for the women's side in particular, where mileage isn't as important as the men's side, I think we need to reevaluate what it takes to be great. She's an all-time talent. That's clear. <sighs> Do I think she's going to beat Tui? I, I, if you had Tully runners making a speed rating, this would be the greatest speed rating of the season, without a doubt. It has to be, right? It would be, but I would also say this. Caitlin Tui looked so in command at the Nutty Combe Invitational, and she put 10 seconds on Mercy Challengart, who is a top five runner in the country at Notre Dame two weeks earlier than that. I mean, everything Tui has shown so far, she looks to be in terrific shape. She's firing on all cylinders. So I think this is going to be a great battle. Yeah, if I had to pick a favorite right now, it's tough. I, I Oh, man, I, I don't know. I think I'd probably lean Tui still, but Parker Valby, she might not have a ceiling in this event. You know, it, it, she's that talented. And like you said, Robert, not a shot that you could go from second in the NCAA 5K to winning NCAA cross that full. It's really like that kind of development. I don't think that is necessarily what's raising eyebrows. And also people are comparing this as I saying, there was some conversion tool that was like, oh, this is a 1451 5K equivalent. That's ridiculous. It's not, you know, you can't, it's not as simple as just comparing a performances like that. But I think what people are suspicious about, they're saying she didn't race at all. You know, she goes a long period without racing. Then she shows up and she runs 1532 at SECs and she's amazing. Then she goes another long period. She hadn't raced since NCAAs outdoors. Her first race is amazing. There's this huge gap. Again, I don't think that necess- that doesn't scream to me, oh, she has to be on drugs, but that's the argument people are using. The large gaps between amazing performances and then her first race back, really fast performances. But I, I have no reason 
I don't like to be suspicious of people just based on times. I like to have something more to go off. And there's to me, there's nothing else that's any sort of red flag there. As for the 1451, would it surprise me if she and Tui ran 1451 this spring? No, it would not. Absolutely not. I would almost expect them to run 1451, to be honest. What? Oh, come on, Robert. You well, expect John, them to run 1451. Yes. I agree, Robert. We, the, the times, you better, you need, NCAA athletes should be running under 15 minutes. Thank you, Robert. I when agree the, 100%. You don't think the top collegiate women should be within a minute of the world record? The, minute, the world record is going to go under 14 soon. So Jenny Simpson ran 1501 13 years ago. We now have super shoes. So I, I just like Aislinn Cuff running 1511. D'Agostino, like I, I, Whitney Morgan. Like I, I think that these runners should be significantly ahead of where we were 10 years ago with super shoes. So I think we'll definitely see a sub 15 this year. And in terms of who's the favorite, I'm hoping it's two because I want to make my two E shirt, but I think it's going to be the more I, th- I thought people were making too much of this, but the more I don't like who do I think's improved more in the last year, last year at NCAA cross country, they were only seven seconds apart. People need to remember two has not been great. NCAA cross. They were seven seconds apart at the nationals. Do I think two improved? Yes. But if this woman's doubling the number of days she's running per week, I think she's improved more than that. So I, I was just so impressed by her at SECs not to be running and to like that she won the team title for Florida. I guess she's the favorite. Wow. Wow. She's not the favorite. She hasn't won before. Caitlin Tui's the favorite. But the more I think about it, I am really impressed with Parker Valby, just how little she runs. And that leads me to the training thread of the week. It's titled Parker Valby slash Natalie Cook. What am I missing? Now, this thread was actually started last spring. And I think maybe your third favorite for NCAAs might be Natalie Cook, the Oklahoma State freshman, right, John? Yeah. And Parker and Natalie are both known for not running very much, not running every day of the week. And you guys also buried another lead. Parker's coach is the one and only Chris Selinski, the first American to go sub-27 in the 10K. And last year, what, she was running two days a week? Now she's running three to four days a week, he told you, John. And But this thread essentially is like, look, how can they do this on so little training? And I think that's one reason Parker gets the ultimate compliment in the sport. The best compliment you can get in the sport is people say you're doping if you're clean. Like, it's just the best. Someone said, I improved a lot. People said you're doping. I'm like, holy shit. You think I'm doping? Thank you. I'm sorry she has to deal with that, assuming she's clean. Like, it's just part of the thing. We've always said, we'll let doping speculation go for top runners. But I think we're learning, and this would be my worst nightmare, that you can get a lot of base training in from cross training. Because Parker does a lot of cross training. I think she does a whip to go. Hey. Reminds me, people, the whip to go and roll recovery, train like the pros giveaway, still going on. We'll put a link in the show notes to giving away over $3,500 in prizes. Dude, if you're in a high school or college, make your coach get you an whip to go. Like, that's what you need, right? Like, you need more running specific cross training. But when I was running back in the day, I was like, thank God I'm not a swimmer or a triathlete because they can go work out like eight hours a day. 
There's no pounding. But maybe you do. You can do a lot of your aerobic stuff with running specific stuff without the pounding. You do a few workouts, and we're seeing they both of them are having amazing success. Now, maybe you can't be a world beater doing this, but I think it's going to make a lot of people question, like, hey, can I be doing different things in my training? Because the number one thing you need to do is stay healthy, right? It's better that they're obviously doing this and staying healthy and able to race instead of like trying to run five days a week and getting injured. I think that is very interesting that you bring that up well then. And it's going to be interesting to see, yes, is this a sustainable approach? A, like long-term, could someone make it run, do this their entire career? That they're only running three or four times a week, but they do cross-training for a lot of their recovery runs or their base runs. And second, can it scale up as you get better and better at competition? Like, okay, right now those two women are capable of running in the 1520s or 15-teens for 5K. But if you want to be in the 1430s or 1440s, are you going to have to actually start running more or can you still get there doing the cross training? So I think that's a very interesting and maybe, you know, it kind of depends what approach Chris Zielinski and then Natalie Cook's coach Dave Smith take with this. But, you know, how I'm going to be really interested to see because we've got two, clearly they're both huge talents and they're going to be around for a while, I think, if they can stay healthy. I'm going to be very interested to see how the, those coaches handle them and how the athletes handle their career. I will just say, though, the, I'll push back a little. Okay, I do think you guys have a point. Could the top college woman break 15 minutes next year? Yeah, they might be in shape to do it. Will they actually do it? No. When are they going to go after a fast time? Like, you get that BU meet where everyone gets their qualifiers. If you don't get that get that meet right after cross country, no one's going for a fast time during the track season. It's all fo- focused about just getting a qualifying mark, running a conference, running an NCAAs. Like, there's only 10 women in U.S. history who've run 1451 or faster. I just think you guys are saying, oh, I expect to see that. I don't know. I think you... If I said... If you told me Caitlin Tui and Parker Balby have no setbacks between now and May, then they go to Stanford and both try to break 15 in that race, one of them will do it? Yeah, I think probably. But that's a whole lot of ifs. I don't think college athletes really care about running super fast times during the regular season there's called usa there's called the european circuit afterwards john if you're the top american athlete those are things you got to be thinking about and i have good news for robert but it looks like he's kind of like talking to john kellogg there off screen the roll recovery guys have reached out they want to send us the the roller now john i assume you won't accept this john is notorious for not accepting gifts from people john this isn't a big shoe company this is the number one recovery device i wish i had that i never had like i first saw the world recovery actually at tre one time and i'm like oh my god like this is the it's like the ultimate thing like it's like we used to have like the stick back in the day the stick's a great thing it still exists but the roll recovery is like the stick on steroids for recovery it's the one thing i want and i just never bought one myself because i don't run that much now i just you know i run a few days a week and i'm not like competing but they're like, hey, we'll send you one. I'm like, hell yeah. So I'm down. Soon Robert's down. I mean, I probably run both more miles than the two of you combined right now, but I'm just going to decline it. It's a very nice offer. I'm sure they make a high-quality product, but I don't need to be taking a freebie here. I've already purchased that years ago. I just, I don't know where it is. I can't find it. My map, my office is such a mess. And you had, it's funny because I'm like, I felt, funny, I felt like I had one. Robert had it. It's awesome. It feels better than the 
several hundred dollar massage I got for my 10th wedding anniversary this weekend. The thing is, when you ride on your cafe, it's almost orgasmic. Speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, intern Carl has confirmed that he has gotten a pedicure. Well, then, so he admits that he's from Malibu. So I, that's why I think he's struggling a little bit at Syracuse this year because he's this guy's from Malibu. Syracuse is tough. Malibu is like California, you know, soft weight. But I, I we're pleased to report Carl, who's like a 13. Am I making it up? 1337 guy, 1345? 1346, What's, I believe, is his personal best. He's made the conference squad for Syracuse. And now he's like, it's up to me to, to make the national squad. Whatever you do, Carl, please don't end up being the guy that makes the regional squad and then runs regionals while the top guys sit that one out and then you don't get to go to nationals. You know, you don't want to be that guy. So I want you in the top seven at, at, at conference and I want you in the top five at nationals. You need to be the guy that runs well enough and shows enough promise at regionals, I mean, at conference that they say, oh, well, he's a miler. He's a sub four miler. He should sit out the regional meet. You are the guy that needs to sit out the regional meet. And then you need to get some tough, stop the pedicures and get ready to be tough at the national meet. Did Carl confirm the pedicure is all about the foot massage? The like cutting your nails is like so secondary. But for those who don't know, Carl winter intern two summers ago, school record holder at Pepperdine University. He doesn't run a sub four mile, but equivalent to sub four minute mile. Now at Syracuse, doing a postgrad year in journalism, and like Robert threw him under the bus earlier because he said, like, "Oh, I used to take that screen, that whatever that doping thing was as a kid, when <laughs> for like a rash or something." He could take it for a rash now. It's legal. I mean, it's not. <laughs> we're not trying to accuse Mister Winter of doping here. I mean, how does that work? So I get, I get like be in the starting line, just rub it in, and I'm fine. But if I inject it, I'm not. I, I, I don't know the the physics. That's not the right word of it. The biology of it. Look, more NCAA cross country talk. Big picture here. We thought Tui was the favorite. Now we're not so sure. We're going to find out a lot at the conference meet because we get all the Alabama girls racing. Um, we didn't even mention Celia McCabe of West Virginia, who's undefeated this year. And they're going to race Volby. Oh, no, excuse me. Celia McCabe, West Virginia, is going to race the Oklahoma State girls. And then the Alabama girls are going to race uh, Parker Volby. So that'll be good. But so the individual title for women is interesting. The, the team title between NC State and New Mexico is interesting. Very close. They tied. For the men, NAU looks vulnerable, but you can't rule them out. So that's cool. But we also need to pat myself on the back because we had this nonsense that the number one recruit in the country, the sub-four miler, the guy who won the running lane national championships might not run this year across country. I'm like, look, this is just the coach lowering expectations. It was a brilliant job by Mike Smith, but of course he's going to run. If he's not ready to run his freshman year, then no freshman should be allowed to run. We should go back to the days of Will Chamberlain when freshmen were prohibited from running, get him focused on school and whatnot. So he did run this weekend, but it wasn't a great result. It was 60th. Um, you know, John and I both said before the meet, we said, what do we want to see on the Friday 15? We said we wanted to see top 75. So it wasn't terrible. Well, we said top 50 would be a good race. Yeah. Wasn't terrible, but he, you know, looks to be more like a miler than like, which we kind of already knew, I guess. But anyway. Well, we also said, I'm not going to draw conclusions even on this season based on just one cross-country race. I mean, 
put him, give him another month of training at Flagstaff. Maybe this was a, maybe this was a bad day for him. Maybe he improves. Maybe he goes to Oklahoma State 10K cross country race, and it's a lot tougher, and he finishes a lot lower down. So, yeah, my guess is he's probably going to be more focused on the mile this year because that seems to be how Mike Smith is training him anyway. But yeah, sixtieth is fine. I don't think it's something to get super excited about. It's not something to panic about either. I was talking to John Kellogg about training because he thinks I said I had asked him in the past. You're like, why don't you? Why don't we ride a bike for six hours a day and then just run on the workout days? He said, well, it's not this cross training is not specific enough for your muscles. So he was saying the one. The, one idea might be just instead of to cross train would be to like, if you're going to do six hours of stuff would be just to get on an ultra G with like 20% body weight and do that for like three or four hours a day. But he's never tried it. He doesn't like to recommend things that he hasn't tried and he's not sure that the recovery would be enough. He might still be so tired from doing that much volume and cross training, but yeah. So how does he explain it? Well, first of all, you need to get on the elliptigo, obviously, but what's his explanation for how they can run so little and be so fast. You don't want to hear how he explains it because when I ever ask him something that doesn't go 100% with his training philosophy, he always gets the syringe out, the fake syringe thing that he mimics with his hand. And he just did that. All he said, that may not be it. So John shouldn't be so cynical because, we, well, then he coached you from college has been who couldn't run break 30 minutes for 10K to 2806. You were never fifth in your higher than fifth in your conference meet. In college, but you were fourth in the country twice, beating Abdi Abdurrahman at the 2001 USA's. 2003, you were also fourth. And he should know that if you can improve that much, so can people who barely run. But it was 20 years ago last week, and which was 10 years ago before I got married. It was a great day, October 13th, 2002. Weldon Johnson ran his marathon, his disappointing marathon PB of only 217 something or was it 218 something i don't even know what it was 218 something and i say why are we bringing this up because he also famously paced Catherine, or excuse me paula radcliffe to her world record he ran 25 miles for her and she ran 217 great job it's kind of crazy that your marathon pb was only 218 when and this was your marathon pb when you're rabbiting her as a workout so i was th- talking to john about this well then like why wasn't Walden better at the marathon? I mean, based on your 10K PB, it should have been like 28.06 is like a 2.12. And he thinks you had too much of a bouncy stride. I did ask him, like, did Walden ever run like a flat course? Like, you hardly ever ran any marathons. You didn't try that many times. You always hurt. So he said you ran Chicago at 99, but that's when you were over a 30-minute runner. So uh, did you yeah, ever good run a point? I never did ran. Did I ever run a? F- never no, ran what? a flat one while I was healthy. After you got 20 on- miles in Chicago when you're the men sub five minutes a mile, but good point. It was the shoes. I would, and I was a head case. John was a head case. He was a bad coach on the mental side. I would do this carbo depletion thing, not eat carbos for a week and like then try to stock up on carbos. Meanwhile, I could have just taken this little supplement or whatever it was effing called, man. I'm trying to do it naturally. I was starving, hungry, in a bad mood. And then I would, I wore like New Balance 150s, like the thinnest shoe possible. If I had super shoes, Probably what 207, 208. Look out. What's his name? I know you have a bounce. I was watching bouncy the video. Stride. I'd be, I probably would have bounced. I might have been 205. 
What the hell, man? The more okay. balanced, the better, all right. right? All right, all right. Well, then. All right, can we go? My my wife, I Robert. It was your wedding anniversary, and I said, "Hey, it's Robert's wedding anniversary, tenth year wedding anniversary." And I'm like, "Hey, it turns out twenty years ago, I faced Paul Radcliffe." She's like, "You're talking about that still? Please don't." And then she also said, "We were recording up the Friday 15. She's like, "You shouldn't put a podcast out on Friday. Nobody listens." So supporters club members, do you still like the Friday 15? I think it's great. We talk about what's coming on the weekends, and we do sometimes shift. If there was like a big event on Saturday, Sunday, sometimes we have an immediate reaction show right after. So I still think the Friday 15 is the way to go. We preview what's happening for the weekend. We have a little more insight. I think it's great. But let us know and be sure to sign up for the Supporters Club. And one final thing on cross country. And this is a big weekend for stars in the United States. Did you guys see who the honorary starter was at the... I guess it's called XC23 Imitational. This is the meet at the University at Panorama Farms at University of Virginia. Yeah, it was Hickam El Garouge. And Hickam? Is that how he's Hickam? What's he Sham? I don't he, his career was basically before I started following this. Wow. Sport. How do you pronounce it? Hisham. Wow. Shocking, Robert. I mean, John is always correct in the pronunciations. I'm shocked on that one. It's Hisham. You're a hundred. It's hundred percent sure. It's Hisham. That's what everyone always says on TV here. Wow. I thought I saw. Te- I've seen television. I know I've seen television broadcasts where they call him Hickam. I don't know if that's if they're doing it correctly. Like, but that's I've heard him referred to as Hickam El Garouge. Maybe it was Tom Hammond. Was he? I don't know. I need to look this up. Hisham El Garouge of Morocco, 334.18. Lagat the silver and Silva the bronze. I, I defer to you guys. I trust you guys on that, even though your pronunciation record is less than stellar because you were around when he was in his prime. He retired in 2004. I was 13. I wasn't following pro track. Robert? It's only appropriate that I got this email while we were talking about Mr. El Garouge, who. I don't want to say anymore. I don't want any lawsuits coming my way, but it's just only appropriate. I just got an email. I thought you were going to, you had the pronunciation pulled up, but we we're going to prove it. Oh, no, shot, no. But... This email was so shocking to me. I mean, we've been talking about doping. Could it possibly be happening have, at an NII level, the pro level in Kenya, the SEC, NCA level? But remember, we had a guy in EPO and NCAs. University of Texas, what, 15, 20 years ago? Texas Pan-American, Wesley Keating. I guess there's a doping thread, I'm not going to say it, about a high school team on the message board. I haven't seen this thread, but some guy just wrote and says, it's not proof, but several boys on the team have told, were told to take a specific list of supplements, mostly like iron, vitamin C, etc. However, I believe the one thing the post referred to was an increased red blood cell called, called, called Optogen HP. The parent of one of the boys I heard this from was complaining that all the supplements cost almost $100 per month. So there you have it, folks. Doping rampant, not just in Kenya, but also at the high school level in America. I will confess now, when I was running, I mean, you're kind of taught like these supplements and blah, blah, blah. They had an ad in runner's role for this thing called Pro HGH. And I thought, well, that sounds good. So I sent an email out to like USA track and field or USA anti doping or somebody and said, Hey, can I take this? Is it legal? And they wrote back and said, yes. 
but I'm so disorganized. I never ordered it. It's probably like, where, where's my little roller? I got to find it somewhere around here. So I, I wanted to do it, but I just wasn't organized enough to pull it off. And John Keller just says, Weldon did dope with caffeine. I'm, I'm the first word in an article about caffeine in the New York Times. It starts off like Weldon Johnson. Well, I'm also going to say, Weldon, you should keep bringing up the fact that you paced Paul Radcliffe to a world record. That's one of the coolest things you did in your entire life. It's one of the, when I think about like your accomplishments, I know you finished top four at USA's twice. That's really impressive. They're more impressive than pacing Paula, but you left a mark on the sport of running and the history of the sport of running. It's a really cool day. I, I think you should be allowed to talk about that certainly at least once a year, but I think that's no problem. That's a cool story to tell. Thank you, John. Thank you. My own wife just pissing on it, but my soccer team over 40, we remain winless on the season. Another lost winless after last season as well. This would have been the sporting accomplishment of my life. John, there was a corner kick. I had a header, put it right in the corner, and the guy was standing there. And with my old team, I said I would quit if I ever headed the ball in. So I guess we got to keep going, got to keep striving for more. At this Virginia cross-country meet, guys, Gary Martin, friend of Let'sRun.com, former podcast guest, 16th place as a freshman. It also shows, you know, freshman miler, you're not going to come in and usually beat down the door in cross country. So everybody, keep training, keep recovering properly, enter the role recovery, elliptigo, train like the pros, sweepstakes, link in the show notes. If you're not a supporters club member, lots of people signing up this week. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sign up now. You can save 20% on running shoes. John, there'll be some games you'll be watching today. Me too. Crystal Palace and Brighton both in action. What is it? Soar Eagles Soar? Is that what they say about the damn Philadelphia Eagles? I don't know. It's Fly Eagles Fly is what the Philly fans say. I don't know what Crystal Palace sort of chance you guys have. Yeah. Don't really concern myself with that sort of thing. Brighton hosting Nottingham Forest, the bottom club in the Premier League. We're playing Nottingham Forest at home. Tim Hutchings, the noted athletics commentator and Brighton fan has told me he will be in the building for this. He also invited me to a game next time I'm in England. He said, you got to come down. I got season tickets. So maybe next, maybe next spring's London marathon, but if Brighton doesn't win this, I mean, come on, we got to beat forest at home. So up the Albion down the Eagles. Enjoy the rest of the week, everyone.